the mantra for being in the product business. Real estate is location, location, location. Uh, product is prioritization, prioritization, prioritization. And priorities change daily, and that's okay. You need to have a strong, flexible DNA to be in the product business because things will change and stakeholders will have varying opinions. But you're going to have to have the discipline to really have those good, healthy debates with all stakeholders at the table to prioritize what's most important to the business. Welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. Inspiration, education for founders by founders. Welcome back, Founders Journey Podcast. If you've ever had one of those moments in your life where you make a decision and then you think, why in the hell did I just make that decision? When the moment comes around, this is exactly that moment for me. Uh, <laughs> so welcoming, uh, well, welcome back, Peter. Good to see you. And uh, <laughs> I try not to laugh too much. <laughs> and actually, and what, what I, the reason I'm saying that is because I think I've just made myself uh, vulnerable to the two guys I'm probably closest with uh, in the world outside my family here. So welcoming uh, Ira Grossman to the, uh, to the podcast today. Um, and uh, Ira is my business partner at Evergreen Mountain Equity Partners. Ira and I have been business partners for on and off, probably uh, almost coming up on, well, way too long, probably coming up on 25 years at this point. Um, so, uh, so it's been a long time. He's also probably one of the top experts out there in terms of product roadmap, building product inside software companies. So we're going to be talking about that today, but undoubtedly this is going to devolve into mayhem. So just uh, just warning in advance because Peter and Ira are probably the two guys who know uh, every sort of story dump thing I've ever, uh, I've ever done in my entire life. So, um, so anyway, welcome Ira to the, uh, to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Jen. I'll add one thing about Ira. So when you work with any of their portfolio companies and sorry to really reveal this. If you want like fiscal responsibility and someone's going to be like, we can or cannot do that. I call Ira. That's who I call. Cause he's like, yeah, we could get this done. Greg's like, yeah, do it all. Let's go. He's like me. And, and then Ira's like, yeah, yeah, we can't, we can't do that. That that's not going to happen. <laughs> Ira, Ira's definitely the more responsible. He's like the yin and yang of it's like a perfect, Trying to be the trying to be the adult in the room. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, thanks, guys. This is uh, this is incredibly incestuous and uh, and fun to be on. Um, I will say seriously though, congrats to you guys. I know creating a podcast. There's so many out there. It's so hard to break through the noise and provide some some good value. And uh, trying to be reasonably objective here. Um, I think you guys have done a really good job over the last year of really taking this to the next level. You probably like go in the whole other direction now, bringing me on and it's going to devolve <laughs> um, from a level of uh, professionalism you've had previously, but, uh, but seriously, congrats. It's really cool that you guys are doing this um, and put the time and energy into putting this content out there for founders. Yeah. No, yeah. But, appreciate um, that. Just, just to know, I know Greg did the intro, but like, Greg, why don't you give the intro, or Ira, you can tell tell us about your background a little bit, um, because highly qualified to be here, to be honest with you. So, Yeah, I mean, the, the short version is serial entrepreneur, built three 
tech platforms in my career. Each of them were sort of five to 10 plus year runs. Uh, the common thread where they were all SaaS. One was in the software modeling business. One was in the uh, pre-employment assessment space where Greg and I spent a long time working together. And one was in the, uh, in the life sciences space, um, which was kind of a left turn from a, uh, from a vertical perspective. But again, it was a SaaS solution um, and a great opportunity to learn. Um, I've been a bit of an accidental entrepreneur. All three of those were all three businesses that were about six months. Um, so had a founder, they were about six months in, they were living in the sort of proverbial garage mode when, uh, when I got involved through, you know, various paths. Um, so, and, you know, my passion is really understanding how businesses operate and how do they scale. Um, and I've always had partners like Greg, who are a little bit more of the visionary rainmakers. Um, and that's just been a great combination for me. I've been really lucky to, uh, to have that journey and then in, for context of today, you know, a lot of what I've learned about myself over the years is of all the different mechanics of a business and how they operate. You know, I, I like a bunch of the pieces of it. The one I, I really have passion in and enjoy is the product component and how do you bring a piece of software to life, which is a challenging journey as, as everybody who's ever tried it knows. I was just going to say, so the product roadmap in creation, I know I've used you as a resource for my own businesses that I've been a part of. Why don't you talk about your experience on product roadmap creation and you know how that how you got into that and why that's important to you? Yeah, I mean the roadmap is roadmap is sort of the manifestation of the product strategy. And the product strategy, what it what I gleaned after years of getting punched in the face and trying to figure out, you know, how to build a software business to scale. Um, is that the alignment of the product team, the client team, sales team, the engineering team, I mean, really all the folks who are executing within the business, um, the alignment of those folks, especially in a software company, just ties back again and again to what are we building? How fast can we build it? What can we deliver? What do the clients care about? Where are the pain points? How do we solve those pain points, et cetera? So um, to me, that's just a, it's a really cool challenge. What I love about software is that you create something from nothing. Um, a software startup, most of the time, you're trying to build a new, a better mousetrap or you're trying to really disturb or disrupt a new market, uh, but you're creating essentially something from nothing with software, which is really cool and really daunting. So having, having a clear product strategy to wrap around that, um, we, can get, we can get into sort of all the vectors that come off of that, but it really impacts everyone in the business. Um, and without it, I think you, you lose credibility really quickly if you can't articulate, uh, again, in a software SaaS business, if you can't articulate where your product is, where it's going, where it's headed, why, where the risks are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you can't articulate that, you're just going to have a lot of challenges. So that's why, and for me, again, it was, Sort of like an accidental entrepreneur, bit of an accidental product leader, um, just being you know miserly and cautious in software startup mode, and there was no thought of we're going to hire a product leader. No, somebody on the leadership team or several of us on the leadership team are just going to figure this out. We we love what we're doing. We're passionate about the product. Let's just figure out what we have to do next. And I just 
gravitated towards that and ended up taking on that role in multiple companies over the years. Um, and quite frankly, in the early days, some of the concepts that exist today didn't even exist. Like there's no such concept as a product owner. Uh, it just didn't exist. Even a product manager was a vague idea in, you know, the first business I started. Now it's, it's you know, predominant and uh, there's a whole framework upon which people can work. And I'm a big advocate for that. But this is just, you know, we need to survive. Let's figure out our, what our product strategy is. So it was a very... It was very organic for me to, to end up there is the answer. Starting at the high level. So you and I, over the, over the summer, we did a reason this whole podcast came about is over the summer, we did a summer camp for our portfolio CEOs and leaders up here in, uh, in Evergreen, Colorado. And um, I gave a presentation that we sort of jokingly referred to as uh, making a product roadmap sexy again, um, which will definitely be titling this podcast, by the way. <laughs> but kind of taking it from really high level, like really, why, why does this whole concept, if you're a high growth, early stage founder starting to hit scale, why does this matter, right? Like, why does this whole concept of getting really serious about your product roadmap really matter? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Obviously, it depends on where you are in the journey, but, uh, but it always matters. Um, the, de the degree to which uh, pressure will be applied to you in the context of product is going to uh, change and likely increase over time. But it matters again, because uh, it is the manifestation of what you're creating in a software business. So you have to be able to answer the questions um, and the questions are gonna come fast and furious, even before you have a board, even before you have investors who might be hitting you hard with questions, your team is gonna wanna know what are we building and why, and not just the software engineering team, Sales team, if, that, if that's you and one other person, they want to know what can we sell. Uh, the marketing organization wants to know what are we building so I can promote that. The client team, if you have it, again, could be one person early on. But what is the product I need to become an expert in? So everybody in the organization needs to understand where we are and where we're going. It is the, is the defining map of where the business is moving outside of the financial models, which are always a mm -hmm. defining map and you can't get away from it. It's even less sexy than the product piece, but the product piece is the defining map of where the business is headed. And as a founder, whether you're, you know, many software CEOs are technical founders, so they're deep in the weeds of this and they're passionate about it, um, even though they may not be the best person to create the product roadmap because they might get too technical. Uh, but even if you're not a technical founder, you need to really have good clarity. And again, it's not, it's not a precise science. It's going to have a lot of variability over time, but taking a, you know, quarter and a quarter approach to this and understanding where you're headed, what you're building and why, um, and then, you know, the different components of a roadmap. So. What is new build? What's enhancement build? What, how much time and effort do we spend on fixing bugs? How much energy do we spend just on focus on what our initial clients are saying versus what our vision is saying? So all of those are reasons why if you don't have context in a framework like a roadmap to work from, it, it gets really messy really quickly. Yep. So, so what does, uh, what's a great product roadmap contain usually? There's a lot, and uh, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a visual learner. I really think making these things visual is really important. There's a, a leader, a thought leader out there. It's been out, he's been out there forever named Edward Tufte, who is sort of my hero in the, in the visualization of data and design. Um, and Tufte was all about how do you create individual visualizations? I know it's an old reference, but you know, we all have gray hair on this podcast today. I was just, just going <laughs> to make fun of you for having a hero in data visualization and design. <laughs> I do. It's Where super geeky. Yeah, I'm actually, his books are on the shelf behind me. Um, <laughs> but, but he really was able to show how elegant, elegant visualizations can take mountains of data and really expose them in an efficient way. And he's got really interesting examples, the Napoleonic Wars, and um, you know where that was going to fall apart. If you looked at the visualizations and the changes in temperature, like you could see where where he was going to get into trouble and his army's going to get into trouble. The space shuttle Challenger and the fact that the O-rings were the cause for that terrible disaster. His visualizations were able to show that in a way that nobody had ever found before. So that's the that's the sort of theory, theoretical concept here. So tying that into a roadmap, which compared to those examples is now becomes seems much less complex there's still a lot of information so the ideal ingredients i would say minimally you want to have you need time so time-based i like quarters um so four quarters four mm -hmm. rolling quarters um what is the probability of delivery within each of those quarters the current quarter we're in i'm hoping to see high probability by the time we get three four quarters out Everybody should understand that things are going to change in the software business. Um, so those are probably 25, 30% probability when they're four quarters out. So probability of delivering successfully. What are the elements that are on the roadmap? Are, again, what are we building that's new? Enhancement, sustained, bug fix, integration. There's many categories. And then um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot that we can talk about in terms of how much should you have in each of those buckets, but understanding what those categories are uh, and then some relative size and complexity so that all stakeholders can get a sense that, yeah, we're only working on two modules this quarter, but they're both relatively high complexity and they eat up a lot of resources. So those are, just, those are some of the building blocks. So just to follow up on that, so you kind of alluded to this. When people build these, I'm sure you've been through this before and I've kind of seen you do this. They have all these things and they may have like five modules in there that are really complex. Like we want to do all of this. Like how, how often do you see that and how do you yeah. monitor that? Like, um, so it's, it's interesting. I always say the, the mantra for, uh, for being in the product business is like real, <laughs> Real estate is location, location, location. Uh, product is prioritization, prioritization, prioritization. And priorities change daily, and that's okay. You need to be, you need to have a strong, flexible DNA to be in the product business because things will change and stakeholders will have varying opinions. Um, but you're going to have to have the discipline to really have those good, healthy debates with all stakeholders at the table. Um, to prioritize what's most important to the business because it's never it's never one thing. In some ways, it's really easier yep. in the early, early stages. It's like we just need to get a minimal product out there. I like minimal lovable product versus minimal viable. Yep. But 
some minimal product that we need to get out the door to in a lot of ways that's the easy time right because we just know we need these three features we've got to get these three <clears throat> features to market everything else is noise but very quickly yeah. it's a very nonlinear curve very quickly there's a lot of competing priorities at the table um so you you've got to just be really transparent about that you can get you can get more sophisticated with it over time as well. You could actually start to quantify what's most important to the business mm-hmm. and start to put some quantification around your prioritization. So it's actually, it's got some scales and some measurement around it, but start with just getting the right people at the table and debating it in advance versus debating it after you've started down the road path. <laughs> yeah. How do you, I've heard you talk about this a bunch of times, right? And it's always interesting to me and, I think, you know, I haven't gone through this a bunch of times as well. How, how do you tell a founder how to prioritize, right? Like, how do you make those decisions around prioritization in a way that, you know, will have a positive impact on this? Because I, I think yeah. it's really easy. And I know I've lived this, right? It's, it's really easy to get really confused on like that prioritization can change on a daily basis. And there, there's this like balance that you've got to reach, right? Like how, how do you yeah. tell a founder to, to prioritize or a product leader to prioritize? It is hard. You're right. Um, I, what I like to do is just start with getting the stakeholders in the room. Again, it might be three people early on. It might be 12 people later on. Uh, but who's responsible for sales, for client, for engineering, for marketing, et cetera, uh, get those folks in the room and sort of ignore the roadmap for a moment and just talk about, we, we know what the values of the business are. Hopefully there's a semblance of what our values and what our mission is. If there isn't, that's probably the exercise you need to do first, but let's assume that, let's assume that that exists. Uh, have a really frank conversation about, okay, what, what when you guys think about our, our, our gals, when you think about our product, uh, What's most important to you? And people are going to raise their hand and say, oh, most important thing is speed. Uh, most important thing is, is creating raving fans. The, the, the most important thing is that it's engineering. It's got engineering excellence. The most important thing is that it's high quality. So get that all out there because everybody needs to have that voice. And the reality is mm-hmm. they're all the right answers. Then, then bring in the context of, okay, who are we? What do we care about? And then how do these priorities align with who we are and what we care about? Um, so it's a really thoughtful exercise. It's useful if you have somebody who can lead you along the way. But I think I've seen it happen numerous times in having led these sessions that there's a real eye opener for the founders that there's many variables at play. What you know, they may be really passionate about. Look, I just we just have to get to market. We've got to define product market fit. I've got I've got pressures from my investors. I have to generate revenue. Nothing else matters. Um, but then they're hearing some other voices. They're hearing some other context and really realizing why this is a, an important prioritization exercise. And it might be that the founder's priority it takes hold. And that is the precedent for two or three, four quarters or a year at a time. But there will be a point where it's going to start to shift and uh, the priorities are going to start to change and become more strategic as a business versus just getting that initial product market fit and some initial revenue in the door, which is all anybody's going to care about appropriately. 
early on. So I think the net, the net net and all that is get, get all the stakeholders in the room again, whether it's three people or 30 people have a really frank conversation about what's important to everybody when it comes to the product and then try to really, um, quantify and prioritize what that means to the business and, and boil it. And, and at the end of the day, say, look, if we only have three things we can work on, what's your top three? And that sort of starts to pivot it from a conceptual conversation into a more tactical conversation about the actual product and solution. Um, it's, it, it's, it's fun and it's healthy um, if it's done, you know, in the right context. And so this, this is something Obviously, after you get a couple customers, sometimes you get a big customer. I know you. I've been in conversations or heard you talk about this before. You get a big customer, and then they start driving the product roadmap. How do you, how do you deal with that? Because you still have to sell this to other people. Like you can have a scenario where a company gets kind of in trouble because it's built for one company, and and how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Peter, um, and it's a real conundrum, especially early on. So uh, the earlier are on you are in the business, the more likely that um, you're going to let that drive your roadmap. And that might mm-hmm. be okay really early on. The, the more you progress in your journey, the more dangerous that is going to become. Uh, mm-hmm. So what I have found to be successful is to start to think about the concept of a client council. Um, and it might be three clients early on. It might be 30 clients later on, but key stakeholders from the client side. And I've seen this dynamic happen, which is really cool, is that you get a client, they come in, they say, this is the most important thing for us. We, we have to have this. And uh, whoever's listening to that, whether it's the founder, whether it's somebody running client, they're trying to listen intently. They're trying to really make the client happy. Uh, I've seen that same idea come from the client in a room full of other client stakeholders. And the conversation changes to, oh, you know, we didn't really think that 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 was as important as these two other things. And they start to get into an interaction and a debate around what's really important. And Mm -hmm. um, that's been a really powerful tool in my experience to try and really suss out what's important to the larger group. So that's one technique that I've seen successful. Um, another is to put some economics behind it. Say, look, you know, we love you, client A, um, and we're gonna do everything we can to satisfy you. And 30% of what you're asking for, everybody in our client base needs. So we're gonna build that. Here's our roadmap. Here's where you fit in that roadmap. Oh, by the way, here's another reason why the roadmap's so important. Um, 70% of what you're asking for is a total one-off that only you care about. And we understand that you're important. Um, here's what it, here's what it will cost for us to do that. If you want to partner with us on that, we'll build it into our roadmap. And very quickly, you find out how serious they are. Sometimes they come back and they're willing to spend, and it's still as important. Many times, it's oh, yeah, we're okay with the thirty percent. We can wait on the seventy percent piece. That's that's a one off. That's not as important as we thought. So those are so two different techniques. Yeah. That susses out people saying, oh, I want all this stuff. And then that'd right. be nice. The nice to have turns into right. really the need to have and it right. helps level right. instead of you reacting to kind of what they right. say. It's also, so the proactive answer to it is get your, get a, an external facing version of your roadmap, which may be 
a variant yeah. of your internal facing, but get that external mm -hmm. facing version of the roadmap proactively in front of your clients. So they actually mm -hmm. know what you're working on and know that there's some interesting things coming and know that if they ask for something, it potentially changes that trajectory for everyone. So that also starts to change the relationship and change the expectation from the client. But it's a, it's a great problem. I mean, you, you want to have those conversations. You just don't want to become subject to answering to one client's requests and building, building that client's product versus building your vision. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, there's two, there's two things that you just said that are both just incredibly powerful takeaways. I think for, you know, for founders who are starting to hit that kind of growth trajectory, right. Where, you know, an MVP you're building just that, right. It's, you know, there's probably not a lot of feedback that you're really getting at that point outside of what you're soliciting from customers. But as you start to actually get those customers, I, you know, one of the areas of pushback that I've heard recently are, and not, this isn't pushback to, to you, but this is that debate I was having with somebody, right? Which is, well, we're too early. We can't do a client advisory council. We can't do the client meetings because they're not going to give us information. You can't get competitors in the room. And quite honestly, I've had the same exact experience as you multiple times, right? Where it's really this amazing thing that happens when you get people kind of in the room, literally or figuratively. Th those priorities that somebody is pounding the table on saying, you have to deliver this, you've got to deliver, we're going to cancel our contract. Suddenly those things melt away when you're in a more kind of rational balanced environment like that, right? Where people are actually weighing in. And oftentimes, you know, what we find is, what, what I've found is that companies become so myopic in the way that they're thinking about it. They're not even thinking about what's actually possible outside of their little world. I need you to replicate this functionality for me, right? But you get them in a room, it's like, holy crap, I never actually thought about that before. Now, all of a sudden, those priorities start to, you know, that that pounding the table priority or demand starts to really melt away. I think it's just an incredibly important thing that you can do. Look, if you got a couple customers, you can do this, right? It's not, this isn't something you have to wait until you've got 200 customers. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can do a 20 minute, a 20 minute Zoom meeting with three customers and, and it's about building the muscle. That's what I, you know, both the portfolio founders we talk to at Evergreen and, you know, those I work with on other boards. Um, it's all about just building the, the muscle early on in all of these areas um, and getting some practice at it. Um, and uh, it yields, yields great results. So start, start small, build the muscle, find out what works for you, but getting, getting the voice of the client in a way other than them coming to you reactively um, mm -hmm. just yields, yields great results. Yeah. Are there frameworks that you would point people to or that you're particularly, you know, like I know, um, I mean, I know there's a lot of frameworks around building roadmaps and things like that, but are there, are there frameworks that you're particularly, you know, a fan of, or that you would point people to? Um, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> to, to be honest. Um, I think, I mean, there's tons out there. Um, and yeah. again, this is not rock, it's not rocket science, just in terms of the sort of the manifestation of it into a roadmap. Um, any product owner worth their salt in the agile world today is going to understand all of those sort of elements that need to be on the roadmap. Um, I think the, I think the more, um, the more potent piece is getting into a mindset of product prioritization that all stakeholders need to be at the table 
on a quarterly basis to have a really healthy debate about what's important to the business and why and how it aligns back to the values of the business. To me, that and that's an amalgamation of lots of people who've written on this and my experiences over the years. But to me, that's sort of more important than the sort of tactical framework that, that you can apply to this um, because that there's just a ton out there on that. Um, I will say though, thinking about, you know, getting that right product owner in place. And, and if you decide it's one of the co-founders, fantastic. If you decide you want to hire somebody for that, I just think it's, it's hard not to have that. In, it's, it's almost as hard as not having a sort of a technical leader. If you're building a software product and you don't have a CTO equivalent when you're in startup mode, it's really hard. Very quickly, it's pretty hard if you don't have somebody with that product mindset. That's a good um, lead in. So I know you've helped hire or at least get people in place for that product leader. What like as a high growth startup and you're thinking of hiring someone like that, what kind of would you be looking for in a person like that? Yeah, I mean, my my thought is you don't have to go out and hire a chief product officer. It yeah. doesn't make any sense, um, both strategically or, or fiscally to do that. But, uh, but a good product owner, somebody understands the mechanics of uh, your agile development, somebody who can be a true partner to the software engineering team and mm -hmm. act as a bridge between leadership, sales, marketing, everybody who's passionate about product deliverable and the engineering team. Somebody who can be flexible enough to bridge those two worlds um, and have great organizational skills um, is just a really big asset. So flexibility, organization skills, some good vision uh, makes a difference. If they have design capabilities, fantastic, but you can get that from a third party. I'm a great example. Mm -hmm. Like I can look at a I can look at a product design and tell you pretty quickly what I feel about the UX would you know, generally had pretty good, um, pretty good results there, but I can't draw a stick figure. So, uh, so I don't have the inherent design capability, but I, but I have mm -hmm. a sense of what, what's useful for a user, what is easy, what's efficient. And, um, and design as a differentiator is a really cool tool also for, for founders to, to think about. Um, you can, you can come into a space that might be, you know, assuming you're not creating something brand new and you're not, uh, but, but you're more likely disrupting or improving a market. Uh, you can really use your design to differentiate because there's so many, unfortunately, there's a lot of poor designs out there. Um, right. There's a lot of inefficient design. When I was in life sciences, I was like, that was a new vertical for me when I started that business. And I was blown away that 95% of what was out there all look like a medical form. No matter what what they were addressing in the industry, they made everything look like a medical form. It was it was horrible. Um, so we built a business that was so like the so the other end of the spectrum that people's head would just explode. Like you could do it this way, you can think differently. So so I really think design as a differentiator is something that founders should really grab onto when they think about their product strategy. And it doesn't have to be earth changing Apple level design strategy, mm -hmm. but, but it can be just sort of nuanced ways that again, it's more efficient for your users to operate and maybe more fun. Um, and you know, it's something in a lot of different sectors, people don't think about 
can you make the software fun in some way? Yeah. What What is the right time? Do you think where somebody starts to, where you do recommend a company start to really think about that, you know, VP level, C level product leader, like what, how do you, how do you judge when the right time comes where you may, you may be starting to outgrow, say the founder's capability or something along those, along in that area. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a hard call. I don't think there's a hard threshold, but general sense is uh, if you can, if you can get the, your minimal lovable product out the door without that investment, because one of the founders has enough passion to drive it and, or you might get a little bit of third party help. Um, that's fantastic. I think once you've got, you can get past that, you've got some product market fit. Maybe you, you know, you've got a little bit of real ARR on the table. I think, you know, again, you don't have to think about hiring a chief product at that point, but um, bringing in a really good product owner slash product manager um, who could start to lead to charge for you probably makes sense at that point. Um, yeah. I think, I think the, the so, so, and that person may or may not grow into the true leader. And if they don't, I think once you're, you know, the, in the SaaS world, you have to, you're starting to look at a small series A, you're in the million plus of ARR. That's probably the point where you want to have somebody who's a little bit more in a leadership role. Uh, but I think you can, get, you can get pretty pretty far along to that point as long as you have some of the core, some of those core concepts in place, and you're not just completely winging it. Because there is just like just like tech debt in your software code, you're gonna have mm -hmm. a lot of tech debt in your product strategy if you don't have anybody thinking about this early on. Yeah, yeah. It's especially, I mean, you see this. You talk about design, right? You see this in design too all the time, where you start to build these kind of Frankenstein-looking systems, right? Over, you know, over time, and suddenly you're going back and you're you're trying to redo the stuff. It just gets incredibly expensive and incredibly incredibly hard to deal with as the complexity of the system starts to grow. And just you know, yeah, dealt with that so many times where you say like, hey, can't we just reskin this thing? Or can't we make it look better? And, you know, eventually over time, the answer becomes no, you can't. Right. It's right. There's just too much. Is that, is yeah. that some of that inevitable though? That you have like your minimum viable product, you sell it and then you start selling it and you get, then you have to go, okay, what do I do? I know you have to probably, I know I'm not the expert here, but they have to look at how do we engineer this and we have to kind of rebuild that. So it scales. And then the design piece too, you have to say, Hey, where is this going? That's that right. roadmap. Maybe you could help. To yeah. say like we can't get stuck in this like bad place yeah. that that happens to does that happen yeah. to everyone? I mean, I don't know when I, someone that I haven't heard that conversation go on right. before, but yeah, I think I mean it's an organic process, right? So both yeah. your both your engineering design and your UX and UI design are going to evolve over time. However, yeah. I think there's lots of examples that still exist out there today. Today, you can avoid a little bit more because of design frameworks to build front-end software are just a lot easier and more powerful. But there's still mm -hmm. a lot of examples, to Greg's point, out there of that like nobody just worried about the front-end. They just wanted to functionally work, and nobody thought about the user experience until it was too late. And then it's really hard to just completely reskin it um, yeah. at that point. So it's just something that's worth modest investment upfront to really think about user experience.
Um, and again, the other the other extreme I've seen as well, which is you, like all you care about is UX and Over. UI, and you don't have you don't have any functional utility. So they you've got to have some balance too, right? Like they're right. Like, we have to build this awesome thing, and they're so focused right. on that. And you're like, wait, we need a customer. Like we need a couple right. of those. Right. It ends up being right. like the uh, ends up being like the showers in a lot of the hotels I stay in, right? Like <laughs> you're like, wow, that is a work of art, but I can't get the water to run. Like I, you're like, yeah, <laughs> turn the freaking shower on, right? I mean, that's, that's that. Right. There's got to be a, it's a hidden tile. It's like the hidden tile. Right. Or trying to turn off your iPhone. Right. Like, I, I don't know. My iPhone's been out for 12 years. I don't know really what to, <laughs> what to do. Right. And but I, I think, though, you know, more to the point, I think you see that less. Right. Where it's really so yeah. heavy. But you certainly see these examples. Ira, you and I have lived this numerous, too many times, I think, to, to mention. <laughs> for to save the reputation of people. Um, but, you know, you, you you have systems that are built by engineers that are, and not to beat up on the engineers, they're bulletproof systems, right? I mean, these things, yeah, can, right. these things can withstand anything, but they're horrible, right? And that's the thing that like that, you know, it's so easy to just invest a little bit now. I mean, you know, when Ira and I, when you and I were starting our first companies, like, you know, Upwork and things like the Finder and things like that didn't exist, right? You couldn't, it was really hard to pull in a freelancer and just say, give me 10 hours of work around, you know, making this UX like usable, right? And, and kind of friendly, right? All right, soften yeah. up. And now I think those those resources are available everywhere in the world for you, right? And you can, you can just start yeah. to invest a little bit of money to, Really, like you said, differentiate yourself. You know, just just simply by the fact that the software doesn't suck to look at. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's and that's that's why I I really like um, I really like founding teams because oh. I think when you have when you have a visionary founder and a technical founder and they can work mm -hmm. together and have that conversation and balance out the degree of technical complexity versus user experience and design. Yeah. That's really healthy, and and it works in other ways. When you have a really technical founder, though, uh, you uh, more than often than not can end up down that rabbit hole where there's like all this technical, uh, what they perceive as really sexy, cool functionality High function. that eighty yeah. percent of the clients don't care about and can't use because it's so complex. Uh, yeah. So that's that's a trap that highly technical solo founders fall in. Which is again why I love the sort of you know founder teams where you can have a more balanced view. So, wrapping this up, um, and everyone's been very well behaved. I do have to say. I was going to say this is when we this is when we were allowed to officially devolve into abuse. <laughs> no, right? no, 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 no. it's evolved. For it's evolved. The, uh, then, if you were to just give kind of three pieces of advice, right to. Uh, a high growth founder, they're starting to deal with some of the issues around this stuff. They've got the MVP in market. Now they're getting customer feedback. Like what is the, what are the three pieces of advice that they, that they should be thinking about right now? Number one, take a real hard look in the mirror and determine if you or any of your co-founders have that skill set to be the sort of de facto product leader for as long as needed. If the answer is mm -hmm. yes, fantastic. You know, run that clock as long as you can. 
I was in that mode for years in, you know, two out of three businesses and I enjoyed it. And, you know, we got great leverage out of not having to pay a head of product to do that. Um, but if you, but the answer is no, then really think about at least getting that first person in place. So have somebody who's passionate about it and can really focus on product as soon as you can realistically afford it. Um, number one, number two, um, do that, do that transparent exercise where you bring the stakeholders to the table and have a healthy debate about what's important to everybody and how that fits into your core values as a company so that you can really go back to that North star when, when you're getting 15 client requests and 10 requests from sales and marketing for changes, you want to be able to go back to that conversation and say, okay, why are we doing this? Does it align with a North Star? Should we be doing it? Should we be doing it this quarter, next quarter, or next year, or not at all? Um, so get yourself in a place where you have that framework. And then three is just know that it's going to be absolute chaos and that you're going to have to reprioritize sometimes on a daily basis, uh, but more often than not on a weekly or monthly basis. And that's okay. That's what's cool and exciting about building software, in my opinion, is that you can, you can pivot, you can, you can make changes. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make the wrong calls, but you can course correct as long as you, you know, maintain um, this sort of open, transparent, and vigorous approach to this whole thing. I think it's a great way to uh, wrap it up. Um, obviously, I know what you're working on today, but normally when we're <laughs> wrapping these things up, we're uh, you know, get, what are you working on? What are the kind of the things that you're uh, that you're uh, you're dealing with today? How does somebody maybe want more advice or get in contact to get, reach out to you? Yeah, my uh, my whole uh, gig at this point in my career, uh, and I I had this epiphany with uh, with our mutual friend Jeff Evans, who you've had on the podcast. Um, is I'm at the point in my career I want to be an entrepreneurial Sherpa, and I want to really help founders. Um, get get on that rope line and find their way through this complex founder's journey which you guys are you know talking about all the time on the podcast so that's that's what i love doing evergreen is the vehicle to do that evergreen mountain equity partners is is you know greg and i's baby where we get to do this on a semi-professional basis and um, use some of our operational experience to help others so that that's that's where my passion is that's where i spend my time um, as well as, you know, individual and personal investing in, uh, in startups as well that don't fit the evergreen model. Um, so people can email me, ira at emap.io. So my parents knew I wasn't too sharp. So I only have a three letter name, IRA. It's pretty easy. Ira <laughs> at emap.io. Okay. Here's the inside baseball. If you want to get funded, you have to talk to Ira. You can talk to Greg, <laughs> but you definitely have to talk to Ira. Well, wait. If a you second. want, if you want love, talk to Greg. Feel love. Yeah. You have to convince Ira, and then maybe you'll get a deal. Ira's Ira's favorite saying to me is, "You fall in love with everybody." Like <laughs> that's the rule. So everyone's yeah. pitching Greg. That's great, but you got to pitch yeah. Ira too. I want to say Ira's definitely the more rational one out of our partnership of two. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely the, uh, the slightly more eccentric off the wall one out of, uh, <laughs> out of the two. So it is a good deal in yang, but if you want actual like real answers that weren't either going to get you injured or put out of business, I, 
took ours. So. <laughs> if you want to have oh, a of fun, I, I'm, I'm your man. Yeah, he's your man. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was uh, this was awesome. I promise you, it wouldn't be too painful. We were. Uh, I didn't call anybody old. Uh, although, for the record, I am the youngest on this call. Um, no insults were no insults at all. No stories. No terrible stories that we threatened you with were told. So, uh, so you didn't ask question five. <laughs> we're going to do a whole other podcast on question five and other various inappropriate things that have happened in our journeys and if you'd like to know what question five is you should send an email to ira or greg or reach out to them on linkedin and you can maybe they'll tell you that's right that's for subscribers only if you're subscribed to this podcast today we'll tell you a question even five. though you can't subscribe <laughs> so uh no, we'll get you. Uh, we'll get you back. Somebody, we were in, we were doing a uh, we were doing a recording yesterday on uh, with two guys, and they were talking about it was all about like co-founder relationships and stuff. And during this, somebody actually suggested that Peter and I, Tim Ferriss, does these uh, does these podcasts where it's like him yep. and Kevin Rose, and they basically just get drunker and drunker as goes through. So I actually <laughs> think we should do that with the three of us one time. And uh, I, I, I think it's a great idea. I think we should. We should add in hot wings or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody ends up in prison. Um, this was uh, this was great. Thanks for coming on. I promised you it wouldn't be too painful. It wasn't. So no, thanks, Jens. This this was fun. Hope I could share something that was useful. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, great, uh, great takeaways. I think for any for any founder, it's just stuff that's uh, that's super uh, that's super important. So. Um, See you next time on the Founders Journey Podcast.